0: like the fully inside of your room instead of a a dark background.
1: I know it's too bright here, (laughs) (laughs) stupid.
2: Welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on the Cosmos from independent validator teams.
3: Okay. Hello and welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast, uh, by independent validators on the Cosmos. Uh, this week we have Asaf from Secret with us, and we're going to ask him probably some really basic bitch questions about what he does and what Secret do. <laughs> despite the fact that, wait, two, three of the people on this podcast validate Secret. Two, I think. Just two. Probably two, two at the moment. Yeah. yeah, You don't serp. I do not. You don't. Oh, okay, that's my mistake then. Um, so apologies for the Secret game. He's my ne- not there my yet.
1: next, the next expansion. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, okay so apologies in advance for that stuff um first off uh no we have some although i'm guessing actually you don't have the spreadsheet up
2: uh, no i do now. <laughs> <up>. okay, so <laughs> we uh,
3: <laughs> we have some follow-ups we had a lot of a lot of questions um over the last week and we've Our new format, our continuing changing the format every week so that we don't actually have any kind of regularity (laughs) dictates that we're now going to do some of the follow-ups from previous weeks right at the top of the show uh, before doing questions at the end. So um, we have quite a few follow-ups related to what happened with Prop uh, 21 on Juno, but also uh, some questions about what that means for the centralization of validator sets as well. Um, all
2: right. So <laughs> I, I will read through these and you will answer them, other people who aren't <laughs> me. All right.
1: So that's you have to, to understand. It, yeah? That's one way to get out of answering the questions.
2: <laughs> you have to understand that I am so incredibly fucking tired right now that I'm running on, like, uh, you know, I don't know, something that's not energy.
1: Vege- Vegemite? <laughs> yeah. Sounds it like
2: you Why are you so of, tired? Uh, because everyone has now. Now everyone's taken to doing upgrades in the middle of the night and podcasts early in the morning. It's seven a.m. and uh, for some reason, everyone decided to string upgrades together last night. So, uh, eventually, I just left it up to CosmoVisor. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) Uh, Right. So, uh, follow-up questions from last week. So, the first one we have is: How could it be? that 125 validators didn't thoroughly check the
1: code properly.
0: Uh, like I mean, I can touch on up? this one a little bit. Uh, so there are a handful of us that are on the testnet and are very committed to running on the Geno testnet. Can you hear net? the question?
1: Yeah. Can you hear the
0: answer? You're not hearing us? No, is someone talking? Yeah. Can I, oh. am I heard right now? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, you're good. Okay, okay. Uh, So from my perspective, um, there's a handful of us that are really committed to running on the testnet. And we make sure that everything happens correctly on the testnet. And that's kind of what happened here. We had ran, like, basically did a dry run on the testnet to make sure everything worked as it should. And admittedly, due to a lack of due diligence, I suppose, I didn't confirm that mainnet had the exact same functionality as the testnet. that that's basically how it went awry from my perspective. Yeah. yeah. So I think
1: and also just the, the context in this question, I think so that what we're talking about here. So this is on the basis of of prop uh, 20, where within the upgrade the aforementioned funds were sent to the incorrect address through just a basic a basic mistake a pretty complicated mistake right um in terms of tr- trying to be able to identify or be able to paste in the hex code associated to the right contract address or the right um wall address or something similar to that right so i think that's what that's going on And so the question here is the prop 21 was to be able to go fix that mistake and so the idea would be how how come 125 validators did not review that code in prop 20 for that for that error right Yeah, yeah. That, that context sounds sounds right to me okay. yeah checking <laughs> Frey, you're going to uh, you're you're going you to give an answer for this
3: yeah well i think there's also i mean and then there's also a final uh, i think prop 21 is unusual in the sense that there are also developers who had and we we're, we're one of them who'd recused themselves from working uh, on that code for legal and regulatory reasons and literally you know we don't have git commits against it haven't reviewed the code we've helped run test nets and done all of the things that were kind of the normal stuff that we do for juno we've helped run test nets we helped um stage and write instructions and coordinate the validator set and whatnot but insofar as actually working on checking um being responsible for the merging tagging and qa on that piece of code um we left it to other people and so that didn't mean that there were radically fewer eyes on that particular piece of code and that particular handler than there would have been otherwise, but there were fewer. And so things, things unfortunately got missed uh, from, I think from the developer end because of um, in some cases, just being very tired after the, the preceding 10 weeks and also just being a bit fast and loose with the actual merge itself, which we've, Had a talk about how that happened, and we've done some. We've done a little bit of, uh, we've done, there's a whole bunch of root cause analysis that will come out um, on everything from the uh, chain halt to prop 21. Um, There's a lot to cover because it's been an insane period of time. Um, But that we've already had a discussion about that and what steps we need to take to avoid it in future. But because it's such an unusual situation, it's also very hard to see how we would end up in that situation again, effectively, where there were people who were, were sort of out of the equation in terms of manpower um, as well. So um, that's going to presumably, uh, and, and kind of quite fairly, piss off some people who are like, well, you should be looking at this code or you or, or nothing. You should either be working on everything or nothing. But mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to say that until you have potentially a regulator breathing down your neck. So... Um, that that's the kind of yeah. important data point I think on that one. Um, I think. I think, I think this, this, sorry, go on.
2: I think twenty one was pretty unique in that a lot of us didn't want to be working on it um, just because of other reasons, other than the network. So it was left to the people who could work on it. Um, but also keep in mind that it's hex encoded, so it's not only looking at the code. It's I think also there was an assumption it that it was the right address so like it's not just reading the code then you have to then extract that and then decode it and then check it assuming that you know what that address is supposed to be like making sure that address is correct is like a bit of a task and you need to know that the address is what the address is and maybe i'm not sure if the address was published before (coughs) there
3: there were instructions but they were not well circulated so that's another thing i think that contributed yeah so that, um, that
2: was probably a falling over in itself that if there was an intention i mean it, it probably should have been in the proposal um to put that address so that people could check um,
3: yeah I, and i yeah. think there, there is actually also one more thing which is that the the hex was used rather than just the back 32 which right. mm. is a bit of a weird design decision but again, like I'm not going to throw stones about it because we literally didn't work on that code. We didn't look at that code. We didn't help review it. And so we can't turn around and say, oh, we wouldn't have designed it that way because, well, we could have chipped in and helped, but we decided not to for for the reasons mentioned above. So yeah, it it is a bit of a tricky one, I think. Mm -hmm. And there's no one personal group of people to blame. I think it's a collective failure of... Do you know in a pretty tough situation, but it does. I think there are a lot of interesting things here around, like you know, d- the set checking code, right? And right. this is not just this is kind of why I thought this was a particularly interesting one because obviously Stargaze has got some upgrades coming up now, and they have governance-controlled smart contracts, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, what's the betting that every validator there is check the hat the hex on? Uh, sorry, the the hash of those smart contracts.
2: Yeah, right. but also, but also like. It kind of leads into the next question here. Um, of
3: well, I mean, I, and we've got a staff here. So, like, you know, on secret, when you <laughs> run a when you run an upgrade, like, what's your expectation there for your validator set? You know, in terms of checking well, the code before they, they run it, they like, can't
2: check the code. <laughs>
4: well, it's not closed it's source. A, it's it's a, why not? Uh, uh, isn't it? I isn't thought, it,
2: it's, I all thought it's all pre compiled, isn't it?
4: What What is it?
2: Is the, uh, I thought the secret code was all just pre-compiled.
4: Yeah, it's pre-compiled, but uh, the code is open source.
2: Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> because because all the instructions were uh, um, just downloading the binaries, I think I just assumed that for security reasons, it was uh closed source. So, so correct me if I'm wrong,
0: but I, I believe the reason why we download the binary instead of compiling ourselves is because it's because of SGX. Um, in order to actually compile an SGX um, binary, it requires having like a certain enclave permissions or Intel yeah. permissions that, that average validators just won't have. And so my understanding is Secret Labs compiles them for us so that not all of us need our own um, SGX key effectively. it doesn't have to do with the code itself. Does that correct us off? Is that at least in spitting distance?
4: Yeah,
2: yeah. And also, the code is open source for security reasons. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I, yeah, I mean, I just assumed that there must have been some um, encryption key or something associated with it that uh, would prevent it from being open sourced. Um, but, you know, we're still very, new, only entered the set last week, still very new to uh, Secret. So um, that's good to know. <laughs>
4: Yes, yeah, so welcome. Nice. Yeah, thank you for you.
2: joining. Yeah. Um, so, do we want to move on to the next question, uh, which sort of leads into that? In that, is it safe that validators don't have any program experience? I think that should read: uh, Is it safe that some validators don't have any uh, programming experience? I think a lot of them do, but perhaps there are also. Of Uh, you know, percentage of people who can't read code or um, maybe aren't proficient in that type or uh, language. So, um, yeah, anyone want to grab onto that one or want to listen to me ramble for like 10 minutes?
0: I could touch on that one. Um, I don't think that having program experience necessarily benefits you much really at all. Um, What really benefits you is having, you know, Linux experience, having sysadmin experience, experience with... Um, distributed systems, knowing code only helps in so far as because you're a software engineer or have software experience, you probably are more acclimated to Linux and um, other distributions just by virtue of that. But really that's the only leg up that that being, being a software person gives you in, when running validators. Um, I don't think there's inherently um, some magical key that being an engineer or a software person um, gives you in the validator uh, game. But I so, back, in terms back to
3: the previous question, though, if you're expected yeah. to check the code, you do need, so, so I, I guess there is a sub, a sub question within, within these two questions, which is that, do you need enough technical experience to read the code and to determine what it's going to do to a reasonable satisfaction in order to be a validator? And, and is that something that foundations and teams should be looking for it, as a qualification for a validator?
2: Yeah, I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, as time goes by, you probably, and if when you're recruiting, you should be looking for someone with those kinds of skills in addition to like DevOps. Um, I think in terms of actually running a validator, um, that, you know, being a bash ninja is probably more important than being able to read the code. But at the same time, there needs to be enough eyes across the validator set Um, that can read code to make sure that we're not injecting malicious code into the the validator set. So um, I think, is it important for every validator to have uh, coders in their team? I don't think so. Is it important that there is a decent amount of coders across the VAL set? I think it's um, beneficial uh, if you don't fully... You know, because we shouldn't put our entire trust in the team because A, they make mistakes and B, it's crypto. Anyone can be, you know, trying to rug everybody or anything like that. So there definitely should be people checking it and there definitely should be coders that can check it. Um, But I don't think everyone should be or needs to be.
3: So then just becomes what a question of, uh, you know, how big does your VAL set need to be? statistically to make it likely that one <laughs> one team has definitely checked the code or two teams or three teams or whatever your metric is for a reasonable amount of checking, right?
2: Yeah. And I think like um this is a thing where it can help that uh people advertise, you know, their capabilities. And if that's something that they engage in, then people should be um supporting them for that work as well. So with delegations. Um, you know cuz people have to realize that there's teams out there that are just barely hanging on to a validator uh so that they can make more money off their other scheme that they're running um that's not the case for all of those types of things but there's certainly ones out there where they just ape into running a validator code um to you know coincide with their marketing um so if you think that um, actually, running non-malicious code is important, then you should support validators who undertake that work on behalf of the rest of the validator set.
1: Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And stuff. Go back to that question. I think we we glossed over it a little bit, but a stuff on on secret. Like when you when you guys are producing, you know, builds, or you're producing, you know, um, tags for releases. What is your expectation in terms of what is your expectations from testing or from validation or from quality control from the validator set or who, who do you look to for those types of roles?
4: Yes. Yeah, so up until like recently, no one, I think really looked at the, at the actual code from the validator set. And I think it's a pretty new movement that validators also develop the code and test the code themselves. And, like in a deep manner and not just like running it on testnets sort and of stuff. Right. Right. So um, how to tell right now. Yeah. Well, that's fun, isn't it? Isn't it? A because lot a
3: lot of times people will be able, able, to, be able to just to... do that and get away with it because there's been no consequences. So it's interesting to see a time when there have been consequences because people, uh, haven't checked the code. I think we, I think when we had Shane and Sisler on here, we also talked about there was a early Stargaze test net where they snuck something into a upgrade handler, and it said it said if you've read this code, contact the team. Right. And then it was like one person out of fifty or something, yeah. um, actually looked in the code and was just like, oh, hang on a minute, uh, what's this? <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, so yeah. Maybe, I mean, like you say, maybe that's the thing that wasn't really expected in the past but is expected now for the purposes of decentralization. I don't know. Yeah. Um,
4: yeah, so for for Secret, for example, we've been running for like two years now and at first the validator set was like only DevOps guys and then um, teams that are building on Secret started to join the validator set to, to raise money that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Right. Um, but they were building their own their own project on top of secret and not uh, building the protocol itself. So I don't think that they they are looking close closely at our code. Yeah.
3: So um I think that covers all of our follow-ups. So we have a topic of the week as people have probably guessed from our choice of guest, it's secret. And obviously, first of all, we have uh, a big thank you to Saf for being the one who bottomed out the root cause on the Juno chain halt. Uh, you may remember him from such, from such cosmos incidents as the Juno <laughs> chain halt, um, where, where he came through as a bit of a hero of the whole episode. Um, but so I, I'll, I'll kick off here because i've noticed the first question on our list is the explain like i'm five and i do that role pretty well because i am genuinely pretty clueless about the benefits of secret so like can, can you imagine i'm a newcomer to the cosmos ecosystem um be that a user or maybe a developer what are like the primary benefits of secret as compared to say well i mean before today maybe Terra? Um, or I suppose, you know, equally Juno has Cosmosm, but, I, you know, the use case, I think, for Juno and, and Secret is very different. So uh, maybe Terra is a fairer comparison, I don't know. Um, so, like, explain, like I'm five, what What, what is, like, the big draw for, for Secret for, for developers and for users?
4: Yeah, so Secret Network is a cosmos-based chain with permissionless Cosmosm. Um, with the only difference of having private inputs, outputs and state for contracts. So um, you can build pretty cool stuff like private DAOs with private voting, like private, private governance. Uh, and for example, DAOs can store uh, private keys in the uh, contract state and then sign uh, transactions on other blockchains. Uh, or validate uh, validate uh, blocks on other chains, for example. And you can store, for example, private uh, entropy in contracts and then generate random numbers on the fly. So it's very good for games. For example, you can generate like random mazes and and a shuffle like a deck of cards, something that you can't do anywhere else because you'll just see the, the, the entire deck on chain. And right, so you could do right, like, so like, a, like a,
3: a, a generative, generative NFTs or something like that without needing an Oracle or some other yeah. source of randomness.
4: Yeah. And
2: Wait a minute, storing uh, entropy? How does that work? Can you explain
4: that just a little bit more to me? Yeah, so for example, let's say that you wanna shuffle a deck of cards for poker, okay? So you have, uh, let's say two players uh, join to the table, uh, and each player, uh, when they join, they input a, a secret number. They can do that because inputs to, to contracts are, are encrypted. The input parameters, the variables. So uh, the contract receives two secret numbers from two two players, and then it, it can use that with a pseudo random number generator to to generate a random number and, for example, to shuffle a deck of cards and then um, and then give cards to the to the players, for example.
2: Yeah. So um yeah I just I'm a little confused about uh where the entropy comes from originally like um to be stored in the first place so you say it's it's secret but it has to be generated initially right Yeah
4: so it so everything happens on chain everything that happens on chain must reach consensus so you can't just generate a random number F- from like nowhere, I don't know, from the nodes themselves, you have to, to input the entropy from, from uh, users inside transactions. So okay, if, cool. if, for example, two players join in, each of them uh, input a private uh, like secret number or something like that, and assuming at least one of them is honest, then you can take uh, both numbers and hash them together, and, and then no, none of them knows the the output of the hash. Yeah. And so the benefit be
2: of secret being that no, neither party can uh, you know see what's in there. It's yeah. like the, the black box, um, which is another cool uh, application of secret, which is kind of on topic. Um, is the is a black box dot cache? Is that what it's called? Um,
0: yeah, that, that sounds right.
2: Yeah, that was a pretty cool project that I used the other day. Um, it was not clear to me initially how the hell it was operated. <laughs> but, uh, you know, after about half an hour, I uh, asked someone <laughs> and then um, it was it was pretty good. Yeah, it's nice to, um, you know, if you need to seed new wallets uh, anonymously or anything, it's, it's like a, a good little application for that. And entirely wouldn't be possible if secret didn't exist. I don't, there's no other way that you can anonymize a wallet anywhere else in the cosmos that I know of uh, like that.
3: Well, I guess you could do it with Snarks, right? But it's the, the approach is different on secrets, right? It's not using ZK Snarks or Circom or something like that. It's using. no. But are
2: are there, are there Snarks in the cosmos at the moment?
3: Uh, well, I mean, you can. There is supposedly a Tornado Cache clone coming to Juno at some point, but there's no reason why you can't uh, compile Circon circuits. And then it just requires quite a bit of fiddling to actually wrangle them into a smart contract layer, basically. Um, I'm. I, I won't pretend that I'm fully up to speed on the details of how that actually works. I just know that you can do it. You can compile the circuits. There are Rust libraries for doing it. And obviously then you can actually interpret what is happening to say that input does actually match output. Thus, the two did happen. Thus, you can release funds or, or, or you know take some further action or whatever. Um, but... I, I suppose the, my, my my question would be like the, the approach that Secret uses um, for like, you know, sort of the built-in security of the smart contract layer um, and where it fits users presumably doesn't require lots of extra developer effort. Is that like the, because obviously ZK-SNARKs is a lot of, it, it's a lot of overhead if you want to actually work with them, right? Yeah, so for Secret, it's
4: just like as a developer, as a contract developer, it's just like, a version of Cosm WASM with just a few tweaks. Uh, also it's a bit of a, an outdated version of Cosm WASM because we're running it since like September of 2020. Um, but but as a developer you don't need to do anything special, you just need to to, to take into consideration the the privacy model of your contract. So So what you want to keep private and what you want to expose via queries, and and whether you want to implement like an access control mechanism in your contract, and stuff like that. For example, CW20 contract on on secret, and we call it SNP20 contract, is a privacy token uh, because balances are private. And when you transfer a token, um, the recipient is is private too. Uh, by default, unless you, you expose the the like the details of the query. Right.
3: And, right. How, how, and is, how how is practically, practically speaking, speaking how is that how is encryption that? arrest kind of done? Like uh, again, explain like I'm like I'm five. I'm not a crypto expert by any yes. means.
4: Yeah, so, so we are using uh, something that's called the uh, SGX, which is uh, a hardware uh, chip inside like every Intel uh, um, CPU today. Uh, and what it does, it allows you to run uh, computations on encrypted data and um, and we require every validator, every node on, on the network to, to have an updated SGX uh, hardware. Uh, and it means that they are running uh, computations like Cosmos and computations without seeing the actual data that they are running. But the output is also encrypted, but uh, they reach consensus on it because it's exactly the same for each of them, because the computation is deterministic.
3: So, so there's two layers to it. There's encryption at effectively the, the programming layer where yeah. you're essentially building in developer tooling that says, use this API, your inputs will be encrypted. They'll be decrypted at the output. Don't worry about it. Just use the API. Yeah. And then there's also the hardware, um, which is ensuring that node operators effectively can't be, uh, you know, inspecting that data as it's in flight or as it's at rest. Right.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So outside of the of consensus, the the users encrypt and decrypt the the inputs and outputs. But obviously, we do that for them with the CLI and with the JavaScript and Python libraries. Right.
3: Okay. Cool. So so yeah, so it's a combination of the hardware and, and and like thinking about the developer, like the holistic developer experience and stuff. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I've seen some of the. Uh again, like from from talking to other Cosmosm teams or or um, interacting with other people who are using Cosmosm. Um uh I've I've seen some of the the secret tooling around like de- essentially developer tooling and uh like uh, bootstrapping and, and whatnot. And it's all pretty slick and joined up. So i I kind of had guessed that that you guys had spent a, a reasonable amount of time sort of focusing on that that side of things and the ergonomics of it. So that, that kind of does make sense. Um so uh what's what it like uh working on the core team and stuff? Like what's your involvement, what's your speciality uh like there? What's the thing that you kind of work on the most?
4: So we are like a pretty small team, we were four uh, engineers up until recently. And now we're on in four more. Uh so so we all did everything. Um <laughs> we built like the since like February of 2020, I think, we started to work with the Cosmwarezm team uh, to bring Cosmwarezm to a state where it's production ready. Um, and pretty early on, we, uh, we discovered that we need to rewrite the, uh, the entire core of Cosmwarezm to work inside SGX. So, so we kept the APIs, of Cosmos, but uh, uh, rewrote everything inside. Uh, and all along the way, we, we shared feedback and code with, uh, with the Confio team, with Ethan and, uh, and Simon. Um, then back in, I think, September of 2020, we, we upgraded Mainnet with the, with the version of uh, secret contracts recorded. The Cosm was inside SGX, and and I think all of twenty twenty one we worked on like building 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 blocks uh, for contracts. So uh, uh, so the uh, CW twenty equivalent, which is snp twenty uh, uh, token, and then Snip seven twenty one, which are private NFTs, uh, which have uh, Public and private metadata. Um, we also build an uh, AMM uh, and bridges to uh, Ethereum and uh, Binance blockchain. And um, so yeah, because we were we <laughs> we were just for paper. We we worked on everything together. So. Nice.
3: And what's your, what's your background as an engineer? Like, um, before Secret, what did you, what did you do? Are you like, um, mainly a kind of low level protocol guy or, you know, you're going to tell me you sort of worked on mobile apps before this or something or did advertising bots or <laughs>
4: something completely so different? So, so before or-
3: Secret I was in the Israeli military uh, for six
4: years. I was doing cyber security work like mostly defending against nation-state actors, and mostly building the infrastructure and of the team that uh, that's supposed to to research malware. <laughs> so my toddler is waking up. <laughs> um, so. I- just
2: a second. Do you need to go for a second?
4: Yeah, maybe. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we can wait, mate. We'll, we'll talk amongst ourselves.
1: Thank you. No worries. Um, ah, those well, days. I remember those days.
2: Well, I guess we we, ha- we should uh, wait before continuing the secret conversation. But how about that UST? Back to 70 cents? Luna? Well, yeah, around have- the dollar?
3: We, we have on the on the, the sheet UST, I've about to say in all caps, but then obviously it's an acronym, so it would be in all caps anyway, but it does have a lot of it's, exclamation marks after it.
2: Yeah, and it's just like uh, scattered around the sheet everywhere. And it's like, you know, links to uh, Doomer uh, YouTube <laughs> videos and just UST and scribble across this spreadsheet. How did it come like this?
3: Yeah. Well, and where, so and where, Luna, Luna looks
2: lower
3: <laughs> Luna looks like it's at one dollar three cents at the moment.
2: Yeah, it seems to be. I imagine that is how uh, the UST is making a very slow recovery. I guess they, whoever was trying to push uh, the UST into the dirt, ran out of powder.
3: Yeah, something like that. Something. Like I mean, or
2: maybe maybe the goal was to just you know buy some cheap Luna.
3: (laughs) I mean, do you buy the, do you buy the, the conspiracy theory that it's, it's somebody trying to make, uh, uh, money on shorting it or whatever?
2: Do I buy that? Mm, No. Uh, (laughs) I think the legs just, it's had an incredible pump in the last, you know, preceding months. I think, Maybe it just ran out of steam and then it had a hiccup. And then do you remember the Iron Finance uh, fiasco last year? Oh, uh, yeah, it's, absolutely.
0: It's,
2: it's outside of the Cosmos. So you guys might not be familiar with it, but well. Yeah, no, no idea. Should, it's outside knows, the
3: Cosmos. But, I've got no clue. Obviously, I don't own or hold any crypto outside of Cosmos. And the idea that I would is completely ridiculous.
2: <laughs> so basically, I mean, it's going back a bit now, but I think it did get a mild attack on it. And um, it busted its peg and lost confidence immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was an Algo stable coin. Um, and it went. To, it, it was pumped by one of those football guys, right? Or maybe one of those... Uh, Schultz, was it a football guy or was it like one of those shark guys or something like that?
0: Uh, I don't remember. I just remember it was some external personality.
2: Yeah, so some dude was pumping it and then um, it had a hiccup and went to zero incredibly fast. <laughs> so it was um, it was a mint. I think there was too much lag in like the uh, mint um, algorithm, which was meant to, you know, increase the price of one. Uh, I can't remember exactly how it worked, but it's, I think it's similar to um, uh, how UST works, but different. But it had a bad oracle and mm. um, there was too much lag in it. And if you attacked it quick enough with a flash loan, you could send it to zero, apparently. It just lost confidence and everyone bailed on it. So... Yeah.
3: Well, isn't it more that... Isn't it more... more? And obviously, like you, there is a piece of price action that changes, that, that initiates the attack, but isn't the fundamental issue that as soon as a algorithmic stable depegs enough that people just fundamentally lose confidence and that's sort of just like a bank run, effectively?
0: I, I don't know if that's fair, though, because if you look at the charts... Like almost every stablecoin has depegged at some point. Mm-hmm. Like Tether went down to like 60 cents at some point, right? And so, Be-
2: because there's no algorithm keeping them pegged on Binance and Kraken and, you know, uh, DEXs, they have their mechanism where people can ARB to. But if there's no ARBs or if there's not enough um, uh, liquidity in the pools where they're being smashed, they'll go down anyway. So it all sort of relies on being able to make ARBs back to the original algorithm that actually stabilises it and for all of those um, places where it's traded to have enough liquidity to be able to sustain a, a um, you know, prolonged attack on it. So I think that, you know, even though there was UST as high as it was, uh, still not deep enough liquidity to defend against something like that. And I think the same thing could happen with, um, you know, Tether and um, BUSD and the rest of them. It's just that, uh, you know, people are of the belief that they're backed one-to-one, so they will are between pools, not necessarily back to the, um, you know, the algorithmic pool which actually keeps the peg. So I think there's something to be said for the belief in a system as well um, that will keep people... So, you know, it, because people believe that, and it might be, uh, Tether is backed one-to-one with the US dollar, then if between Kraken and Finance there's a difference, they'll arbitrage it to, you know, bring the peg back. But if there's a system which doesn't have 100% confidence, um, like, you know, UST seems to have shown... Uh, Once you break the peg, if there's not enough um, arbitrage back to get it back to $1 quickly, people can lose confidence and then just start bailing out of it, and then you get an avalanche of, um, you know, volume, so you need really deep liquidity to absorb it, Um, and a lot of arbiters. And when you then can't access back to the original pegging pool, as was the case because the bridges were clogged, um, then that causes another problem. So, so yeah,
3: if I can reduce a very complicated situation down to like a literal five second meme, do we think PEG is going to be regained?
2: I think so. I I think the longer you leave it, it'll just regain from the algo.
1: You um it? Yeah, I think you will still regain. She's, well,
2: I, she'll see.
1: I
0: think it will as well. Um, I do question. I mean, one of the big. Points of faith behind it was the fact that Luna was above UST and market cap, right? Right. Um, I'm starting to wonder if maybe it was a wrong decision for it to be tied one to one. So if you look at Silk and Shade, which are which are on secret networks, so it's a little appropriate, um, they're looking at actually having like a different system for it's still going to be like an algorithmic, algorithmic stablecoin um, but the peg isn't going to be just to their shade derivative, which would be like Luna. It would be, let's say let's say you can swap secret for, for the USD as well. And so if you try in multi-different cryptocurrencies, one dropping doesn't necessarily undo the system, right? And so I'm wondering to what extent that's true. The fact that they're recovering the peg right now and there's such a discrepancy between the two. But if they're um,
3: all positively correlated with one other, then one dropping does bring them all down. So you're back in the same, you know? Back it's in- true. But, so just, just but the reason it. that well central banks do this with credit issuance and they do it with well historically they did it with gold or or dollars or whatever they actually held the money somewhere b- because they knew that there was a fundamental difference between the two types of things like one of them is one of them is essentially uh well it's, it's, it's real it's real it's it can be it can be used as a, as an actual store of value um so like there's I mean, or you know i guess you know to bail out 2008 or to bail out during wartime long-term government bonds uh long-term government loans are also used so there's like a variety of different tools in the toolbox which are all about well I- increasing liquidity right um but not all of those things are positively correlated with one another right so it means you have different um, tools available to you so i guess that's the question I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering whether a algorithmic stable doesn't yet have all of the tools it would need to actually um f- f- grab something out of thin air that's not positively correlated right because that's also the problem with luna here is as soon as you lose confidence in te- in ust you lose some confidence in luna and luna is being is trying to dig ust out of the hole right
2: yeah uh, i think luna's taken the brunt of it um for sure <laughs> so
3: i mean asaf do you think it's do you think ust is going to regain its peg yes <laughs> <laughs> okay so okay, we're so five we're for five, five. five. <laughs> um, on the call so they 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 you go i mean this is not investment advice but Five out of five members of the Game of Nodes podcast tonight (laughs) think UST is going to regain its bag given time.
0: Well, now let's throw a little bit of a hardball in there, right? So Osmosis just put out their uh, update, right? And they're considering hard forking so that people can pull out their their UST and their Luna pools. So there's going to be a governance prop going on for that now. If suddenly another three or 400 million enters the market, what happens then? See, I mean that that's gonna make it more difficult.
1: Explain that again, Schultz. What what are they what are they putting a the proposal for?
0: Yeah, so put up a proposal to fork osmosis such that they um all all the pools, all and all the bondings within their UST Osmo, Luna Osmo, and one other pool um mm-hmm. become unbonded. So people can immediately pull them out and sell them if they want to. Um right now, you know, you're tied into your one-day, seven-day, fourteen-day bonding and right. they want to undo that.
3: So what you're saying is Lunar price is going to go down even more.
0: I'm saying it's a possibility. Um, so it's it's actually pretty interesting. I think I'm, I'm against them doing that. Like we took the risk in bonding. Um, but basically the idea is if, so we, they're trying to get all the values in on it and voting. If it hits 66%, they're just going to cut it early and hard fork osmosis with all the tokens unbonded.
2: Is that something that's come from, the team or is that something that's come from users
0: oh no that's come from the team i'll i'll post the well i guess I can't here i'll send it to the discord and then you guys can post it in the youtube chat, so you can read mm-hmm. up about it um yeah
2: i mean I, I think essentially the damage is done there all that can really happen now is that ust can slowly regain its peg luna's done in terms of price for the time being so you know i don't see the point now I mean, unless unless, unless Luna is going, going to zero, go a zero a bit. What do you think itself?
4: I think like they can probably land in the top fifty on Coin Market Cap after the game in the peg. So not a bad spot to land on, I think. <laughs> do
2: you think Luna um, will have a you know substantial recovery, or you think we're going to see it pretty low for a, a long time? I think the confidence is pretty busted in. Terra at the moment.
4: I don't know, it's like purely speculation at this point, but after looking at their code, their market code and seeing that they're willing to sacrifice Luna for regaining the peg. So I think that Luna eventually will bounce back. Like I don't know if like in a week or in a year, but I think that it has a it has a good chance.
2: So I don't think, um, you know, the turmoil over the last couple of days doesn't change the fact that Terra have a good product and good marketing. So
0: And good developers. They have, mm-hmm. I think within the Cosmos, they have the most developers. And, then, I mean, that can't be understated how important that is.
2: Sorry, I'm just reading comments. Um,
3: yeah, just because, I mean, well, if, I think Asaf was saying earlier, right, you guys are four and you've just added four more developers, right? So like to to give an idea like for, for the listeners um eight developers would be quite typical for a very small startup maybe a couple of hundred thousand dollars annual recurring revenues something like that that's just received a series a or like a very very first seed round or something like that a few million dollars a couple of million dollars from a few investors to see if the product has legs typically then you would go from like two to four developers to six to eight developers something like that so eight eight developers is a is a is a small but decent smart startup team right uh, and secret is uh quite a bit bigger and and a more substantial a product than like an early stage startup so you, you know i Obviously, I mean, the staff correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if that's because it's hard to hire, or if that's because of of you know it's difficult to bring new people on and not be unproductive. I, I don't know what's been the reason that you've, uh, you've scaled in
4: that way. So, a it's hard to hire, um, and I'm I'm not sure if you're familiar with the with secret history. Like, it started as Enigma. Uh, and they did an ICO back in 2017. And they raised like 45 million. And then, like when I joined back in 2019, they were building a layer two privacy solution for Ethereum, and it was not going that well. So they decided to to start fresh on uh, on Cosmos. Uh, and they also had like a very, I think they had like 10 or 15 developers and they decided to scale back because it wasn't working for them.
3: Right. So, okay, that makes a bit more sense in terms of in, in terms of developer size. But this, I guess, bringing us back to, to like why it's important that Terra has so many developers, right? Is that most of the other teams in the Cosmos are operating on probably... Uh, a similar number of devs to what Secret were before the scale up that Asaf says they they're just they're just doing at the moment, right? Which is three or four engineers who are practically you know doing the day to day. I think Stargaze is about four. Um, most of the other teams I can think of are between four and maybe ten if they have a lot of people, you know. Um, and, and and given the market cap of a lot of the chains in Cosmos, I know obviously Cosmos is a lot smaller than uh, some other ecosystems, but those are very small numbers for team sizes. Given the scale of these companies, if they were traditional companies, um, they would have a hundred engineers. You know, <laughs> um.
4: But so right. yeah. Speaking of Terra, are you guys familiar with uh, mentorment?
0: Uh, I'm not familiar with it. With uh, so what, sorry?
4: A mental mint. No. So mental mint is a special node that uh, Terra developed. It's essentially a node without uh, tendermint, Tendermint. Um, uh, it syncs state, uh, and they replaced the entire Tendermint stack with uh, with a much faster DB database engine. And I was talking with one of the engineers, like a few hours before shit hit the fence. And, <laughs> yeah. and he was saying that they're serving constantly like 1.4 million requests per wow. per for Terra. Yeah. So <laughs> do,
2: do you think, uh, do you think that other projects should try and pick that up or try and yes. include something like that into the SDK?
4: Yes, yeah, so I was talking with him like about trying to port this to to secret, and, and he said that it will help. That he will help like a week after the. <laughs> the, um, so it, the can, issue, yeah.
2: can you tell me the reason that, um, for example, when you jump onto Mint Scan... Uh, and go to the secret page, there's a delay in loading it. Is that something to do with secret itself or is that a mint scan thing?
4: Probably a min scan thing.
2: Yeah, okay. I I know it's it only seems to be on uh secret, just talking about um, you know, RPCs and stuff. So this is like a kind of light node that you're talking about with all the with all the tendermint stripped out all the consensus stuff stripped out it's basically just what it does it still check hashes against the um the validator set
4: yeah it's, it's still like receiving state and validating the headers but it it doesn't run transactions in blocks it just like syncs the state and then you can query it really fast and I think that he was he he said that they, they have a cluster of thirty five nodes, and they serve like twenty uh, uh, k queries per second.
2: Wow, um, that is a yeah. uh, decent. <laughs> um, yeah. Is that what kind of load balancer did they get into that uh, type of discussion no. with you as well? No. No. Um. Because I know that uh, I think Stargaze is now using um, the and serpent might be able to help out with this. I think they're using yeah. the Cloudflare Smart uh, Load Balancer now. Is that right?
1: Yeah, we have. Uh, yeah, yeah, we use regional, regional kind of setups that are both pruned as well as like full nodes across a couple different regions, and then Cloudflare bounces based off of you know geography and other types of things. Yeah.
2: So. If you have prune nodes along mm-hmm. with full nodes mm-hmm. behind a load balancer, how does it figure out where to send the requests? Is that programmable
1: or? It doesn't. It doesn't. So, so it the, just
2: throws them around until it gets yeah. the one that
1: <laughs> sort of, but we're not I, I think the goal is not so much around being able to provide archive nodes to to a community. It's really more that I, I think with so many validators running prune nodes now that the chain is obviously wants to make sure that there's plenty of archives right so um there's such a race on the validator side to to bring it down and to you know that um, to make sure that the, we have a short block times and things like that that like there's some concerns that how many archive nodes are out there um so for stargaze i think we i think i think they have a couple i think there's like 4 or 5 that the team runs that are out there then we take backups and all that kind of stuff too yeah
2: yeah i think it's i think that's sort of getting lost in the in the soup the fact yeah. that you know one of the jobs of a validator is to maintain
1: keep the history,
2: history. Yep. yeah so um yeah i, I think know almost kind of everyone's a- running a, a pruned setup because otherwise you you know it, it's a way to help making sure that you sign all the blocks and that type of stuff but for uh, sure definitely I mean, in your in, in your infrastructure stack you should be you know keeping history as well if, if at all possible so I know mm-hmm. that, um, like, we're working on having, you know, hosted hardware elsewhere to make it cheaper for us to mm-hmm. be able to keep a lot of state on, like, slower drives and stuff. Would It wouldn't be able to keep up with, um, you know, validating, but it'll be right. good enough to, like, you know, put lower-cost drives, just fill it up with the data forever. Um yeah you know, sitting in a colo somewhere where it doesn't matter if it goes offline, just like, you know, cheaper, cheaper, um, set up on your own hardware, just so that people can sync from it if they need to someday. So.
1: Yeah. It's be- I think it's becoming more important. And I think, I think also change is trying to figure out a way to incentivize that as well, because, uh, you know, there, there's, be, there's so many valuable kind of alter or, uh uh, roles for validators to play from RPC and API nodes as well as archive and other types of things and there's not really a clear incentive structure around that at least you know from a not on not chain at least right everything else becomes off chain which becomes it's becomes more difficult to track and everything else so uh, but yeah it's important I think
2: it is important and it is a huge problem that in proof of stake it's not incentivized by the chain and somehow natively like right you know, the fact that, you know, to, it's a shame that there's not a, you know, easy way to make sure that the people who are contributing to the health of the network get the delegations instead of, you know, people who have the best marketing or something like that.
1: It's that That is a totally different topic.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, but, you know, it sort of ties in that we can all go to the effort to, um, you know, ensure the health of the chain and as is our responsibility um doesn't yep. necessarily mean that you get rewarded for it. Um but so I it's mean, good to see that uh the
1: yeah, stargazers
2: are uh, working in that direction. Yeah, for well, sure.
3: this is also something we talked about in a previous episode. I can't remember if it was the the one with uh actually with Shane or whether it's a different one, but where you know, it's all about incentives and I think, you know, the the way incentives have been designed in Cosmos um for a variety of things um were effectively, you know, uh a good first attempt and need to be upgraded. Like governance mm-hmm. is a, a prime example of it's a first stab at governance and doesn't work. Sorry, doesn't it? It's done fine up to now, and it's now at the point where it's creaking and it's breaking because you know 10 actually users, everything breaks, right? Um, and another thing is like the economic incentives around the validator set in mm-hmm. distributed proof stake do not scale for the long term health of the network. I I think, and I think we—it's something that we seem to come back to quite often. On this, um, we seem to come back to that topic in one shape or another quite often. And I think that's also something that we found very interesting. I saw there was a comment about Akash, uh, down, mm-hmm. um, a cash down a minute ago, uh, and I think it's also something that came out with. Although you know, I was in a bit of a delirium of sleep deprivation thanks to the, the hospital and whatnot last week, but um, the. That came out with our conversation with Greg is like there are a bunch of ways that you can start to devise more interesting incentive mechanisms using the code inherent in a blockchain, mm-hmm. and then go to a different chain that has an infrastructure provider and do things based on those incentives. Right? And there's there's other ways we can cut this. Um, right. But to bring it back to uh, our guest, who I realize is actually. That way, uh, is uh, we were just talking about um, query speed ups when we were talking about the speed up stuff that Terra have been doing. Um, mm-hmm. I gather there's been a, a substantial query speed increase on um secret. Is that uh, something that you guys have done just for secret, or is that something that can be applied to any cosmos chain?
4: I'm sorry, what are you talking about?
3: Um, this, this is actually a short, actually short question, question, so perhaps you can take that one. Yes,
0: yeah, so the question is about the 500x speed increase for query nodes. I guess what's the root cause of that? Is that secret specific? Is it just from adding threading? Um, can it be translated to Juno and to Terra? Um, what kind of cross-pollination can happen with that?
4: So actually, I think Juno already have this uh, feature we... We backported some API from some new APIs from uh, Cosmos uh, uh, version one. The crypto API is for, uh, for verifying signatures, like cryptographic signatures. Uh, because on secret, we're, we're doing a lot of cryptographic operations inside of secret contracts to for access control purposes. Um, for example, when you query uh, a SNP20 token wh- for your balance, uh, it's private. So you have to prove to the uh, contract that you are the, the owner of the, the account. Mm-hmm. So the way that you, that you do that is by uh, signing something off-chain and then sending it to the contract to verify and inside the contract, it verifies the, the signature, which is a very expensive uh, thing to do inside, inside of Cosmoson. So what we did is we, we added an API for the contracts to, to offload that computation to, to the chain itself instead of doing it inside, uh, inside the contract. Uh, so right now it's much much fe- it should be much much faster. Um,
0: so this is something that came about. Um, it c- it can't be translated is what you're saying because it is effectively a reuse of something that already exists and ha- was created previously. Is that is that right?
4: Yeah, it, it already exists with newer version of cos- newer versions of cosmism. Uh, but I'm not sure if the the use case translates to to Juno, for example, Uh, because you don't have to implement the access control uh, mechanism to access your data. Uh, But for example, to verify blocks inside of uh, contracts, uh, that is something that can be translated to Juno. For example, if you would write a contract that uh, that is essentially a permissionless bridge, for example, to just like IBC, that needs to verify blocks on other blockchains. Uh, Then that contract would would need to do a lot of cryptographic uh, computations, which uh, in Cosmos version one, you, you already have that. We didn't have that because to align with Cosmosm 0.10, which was released back in September of
0: 2020. Got it, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. Um,
3: I think we've got one more question for you Saf, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of a big picture stuff. Uh, you know, um, next five years, what's like the vision for how Secret's gonna grow and change? Um, And like how the use of it, um, also might evolve over that time. Like, where do you see the network going, you know, in like (laughs) on a five year horizon? Like if you guys even plan that far ahead.
4: Yeah. So hopefully by then we will not have to rely on FGX or any other hardware solution. Yeah. Uh, Because it's, it's very expensive to run a node right now compared to other chains. Um, and B, it's a, it's a vendor lock-in, which makes us dependent on Intel right now. And I guess with Secrets, um, there are a lot of use cases that you can't do anywhere else with on blockchain. For example, build uh, games with incomplete information, and, uh, or build DAOs with private voting, which I think is very important. And so hopefully, we will see a lot of novel uh, blockchain applications uh, built on Secret. But like, hard for me to imagine right now what these case use cases will be.
3: What, what are you most excited for that's kind of coming up on the Secret Roadmap?
4: In terms of apps or in, uh, in infrastructure?
3: Either, both. <laughs> yeah, both.
4: Yeah, so, so I'm building the infrastructure, so I'm excited about bringing uh, the newer version of Cosmos to Secret. Um, like having IBC contracts Um and then I would want to see apps built on secrets. Like, I think games have a lot of potential on secrets because of the privacy aspect. Mm-hmm. And, and, and private voting, which I already like, mentioned a couple of times. And so hopefully we will see a bunch of them this year, maybe in the, in the next like six months.
2: So, private voting—something that you're working on—is it?
4: It's something that, that's already exists, like the CFI DAO. They uh, they have like private voting, I think, for over like more than. So the.
2: Come. So you plan to implement that on um, on secret, so the validators can or anyone can vote on like governance proposals with. Uh, that's anonymity. something
4: that we are also discussing, but maybe farther ahead. Mm-hmm. Because
2: I, I think that's, um, you know, I'm probably going to crucify myself here. I, I think that's important because uh, a validator doesn't necessarily, what's best for the network isn't necessarily always the popular vote. Um, I
4: completely agree, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, and when you couple that with public forums like Twitter, uh, people people's businesses just get ravaged when they, and a lot of times you can't make the right decision. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of countries have anonymous uh, voting, like I know Australia does, so you can't be like discriminated against for mm-hmm. your vote preference. Um, right. And I think like... In terms of proof of stake, a validator's uh, preferences, like I already said, aren't always aligned with the community because, you know, community tends to be more emotionally driven um, in a lot of instances, whereas a validator, uh, you know, has in a lot of cases a set of values that they apply um, to blockchain or they're, you know, whether they're blockchain purists or just want to do what's best for the blockchain um doesn't always align and i think um i think to be able to have the ability to um you know vote anonymously is is important actually i
1: also think even during the vote like i even away from even that even to see somewhat results posted as the vote is going i i think completely sways people in terms of how they're going to vote so getting a proposal that's open and if you have if you have a huge amount of people that vote one way to turn that tide, I think is really difficult unless you have obviously validators who are looking at maybe a little bit deeper <laughs> than maybe the community. But um, I think from a community perspective, if, if they see ninety seven percent voting po- voting positive, even if it's only two percent of quorum, guess what? A lot of people look at it, eh, yeah, that's what I should be doing, right? So that's yeah, also public, I think is uh, yeah. is a real benefit here. Even if even if the even if post vote those public those results are public, I think that still gives them some options in there.
0: Yep, absolutely. So I mean,
4: like, like
3: most, most, most democracies for a very, very long time have had private ballots, and you know that's sure. been uh, that's been traditionally, I think, to avoid the coercion of the upper class, you know, um, yeah. your, or your employer, you know, uh, saying tapping you on the shoulder and saying this is how you should vote, um, you know, and that's before you even get into the you know the inherent problems of the tyranny of the tyranny of the majority and whatnot, which right. I think you just identified usurper which is that if you see that a certain number of people have voted a certain way it makes it more difficult to form some kind of an objective view i mean none of us vote objectively right
1: that's a complete fallacy anyway but um i think people it's weird that even in situations like that you don't want to be in the losing side which like even for votes that don't directly affect you anything else like people don't want to vote the loser so it's that type of thing i think is a is a huge a huge well, so, thing, uh, so
3: case in point, we got asked um, a couple of times, you know, what what we think of Prop Twenty Two, right? And that's right, an example right. of one where it is overwhelmingly positive, right? But you know, what what do we think of that prop, and how are we voting? Because I mean, f- from from our point of view, we we think it's probably not economically viable with the market downturn that we're now seeing for those final ten validators to actually break even, but. It's like 90-something percent positive. And it's like, well, do yeah. I want to die on a hill, of validated set expansion? No, I've done up yeah. dying on a hill the last 10 weeks over the CCN drama. I'm, I'm done with that, you
0: know? Well, yeah. and those that do have the dissenting opinion during a vote, they are expected to put out a, a message on why they're, they have a dissenting opinion. And sure. So it becomes you have to put so much more energy in to not go with the crowd. Um, look at Cosmos Hub Prop 69 with uh, adding Cosmos into the hub. I had to flood a lot of questions and put out a statement about why I voted yes on it because mm-hmm. everyone else is voting no. And so yep. that dissenting opinion, it shouldn't matter until the,
1: the, the die is cast. Right. Yeah. And I think the overall fallacy of Increasing validator sets equals decentralization, I think, is a different topic that we should talk about also. I think going <laughs> from one going from one twenty-five to one thirty-five does absolutely F all for decentralization. But that's a different topic.
2: We're well, going from one twenty-five to two hundred and twenty-five does the same thing.
1: The, exactly the same. It's literally the same amount of decentralization. So speaking of decentralization, yeah. uh I saw I know Secret keeps the validator set pretty small. Like I think you guys just went to 80, right? It was at 70 or it started at 50. I don't know the history here, uh, but why, yeah, have guys, why have you guys, why do you guys kept you guys that,
4: kept that tight? tight? I don't know. Like I'm not involved in this part. Maybe Shorty sure will know more <laughs> about this. <movie. laughs> yeah, I
0: can, I can throw a lot of heat in that direction. I was probably <laughs> the Cardinal dissenting opinion about expanding the set recently. Um, so, The cardinal reason was when the network is under load, you start to see a lot of um, like pairing off of missed blocks. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason why I dissented from increasing was because we don't know the root cause yet. Um, There are, there was a bunch of work that chill validation and I did kind of doing AB testing on for what all these different things, peering, um, different hardware types, different locations, all sorts of stuff. And we never like, all these different things we were, were changing. We like made incremental improvements, but we had no good final solution of this. This was the cause, and because we haven't had a big load event since um, us having done this testing, mm-hmm. I was resistant to this. set actually being increased until then, because during um, I think it was during the shade meant a couple of months ago block times. I think we're approaching ten minutes, and. That doesn't seem huge. And yeah, increasing set by 10 won't change that too much. But it's still that much more risk. 10 seconds. No, no, no. It hit 10 minutes per block. Really? Oh, yeah.
3: Okay. That's insane. <laughs> I didn't realize it was. I didn't realize
0: it that either. High. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, and it was for like a full day or two that it, that it slowed down to that point. Wow. And so... There was a lot of effort that went into trying to figure out what the cause was, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, but I mean, maybe maybe because of all the effort that we've put into to resolving the issues is why there hasn't been a huge event like that since. Because there have been multiple NFTs since then and things like that, but mm-hmm. still. So,
4: but I just, <laughs> the, the block stretch was because of bad peering, like because of the size of the validator set?
0: Yeah, so it seemed like one of the core issues was when the blocks started going down, um, because they would take so long, the like there became like consensus hubs. You would see them rotating who was actually getting consensus. Yeah. Um, and I think that was that was the biggest issue. And then hardware improvements or like hardware optimization was 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 the next big big answer.
2: Do you think um, like I know is a stuff how much overhead is there in the, um, in the encryption? Because yesterday um, I switched over. Like I'm running bare metal, like decent hardware, and I switched over to um, CosmoVisor, right? So I left. Uh, well, actually, I switched over to CosmoVisor and um, a remote signer for Secret, and I had just the hardest time catching back up to the head. Um, so I initially switched over to, um, the remote signer and kept the, um, just running the, the daemon normally. Uh, and I was able to catch up, but it was slow. Um, and then I switched over to Cosmovisor. I missed far fewer blocks when I switched over to Cosmovisor, but it took, I, I couldn't catch the head by the time, um, there was the upgrade and that was probably a good few hundred blocks out um is there like lots of overhead in the encryption that makes bringing the blocks in slow and should that matter when you're just trying to sync state or is there like some other issue that makes syncing slow because i know that um uh i wasn't the only one who had that problem yesterday
4: yes yeah, so, so there's of course Overhead with the encryption and with running inside of SGX uh, because it's running on encrypted uh, memory. I'm not sure of the recent figures, but I think the, the bigger overhead is with the a, a WebAssembly uh, engine. And so uh, CosmWasm and Wasm are using a WebAssembly engine that's called WASMA. Uh, and back in 2020, it was not compatible with SGX. So we went with a, a WebAssembly engine called, that's called WASMI, which is a lot more slower, like 200, maybe 300 times slower than uh, what's currently in Cosmosen. Uh We were just trying to make, to implement like secret contracts, you know, making contracts running SGX. So so right now our Wasm engine is, is far slower than, than the Vanilla Cosm Wasm uh, engine. And, and for example with the what shade we're doing, they were doing a cross-chain airdrop. and and because and they were doing a cross-chain airdrop with secret, uh, the hub and the Atom and Luna. And because each of the chain has a different coin types. Then you can you can just like convert between between addresses. Um, the same seed would produce different addresses on uh, Secret, on Terra, and on uh, on the hub. So so what they had to do is have the. If you want to claim uh, the shade airdrop from your uh, Terra address, you have to sign. Uh, proof that you own the Terra address and send it to the shade uh, contract. And then the shade contract had to do some heavy cryptographic computations to, to verify it. And, and when a lot of people uh, were claiming a lot of shade uh, at the same time, it made like blocks stretch to, to be like 10 minutes. Um, so
2: is there any light at the end of that tunnel? Is there any plan to move to a Different WebAssembly engine, or is there a development in the WASM um, that maybe will allow use with SGX later on? Or
4: yeah, so since then WASM completely rewrote the their code base, and, and now that we're finished with the upgrade that was like a few hours ago, we, we we're gonna start working on uh, migrating our WASM engine to be just like what Cosmos WASM are using right now. Uh, we should be two to three hundred
3: x faster. Um, That's a pretty big speed up. <laughs> yeah,
4: <laughs>
2: So, did you say sorry? Um, sorry, I was just reading comments. Did you say that? Uh, um, what what was going to produce that two to three hundred times speed up? Switching to WASMA. Uh, so they are switching to OSMA. So, so there is like um, uh, SGX available on that now or you guys are going to do that work?
4: Well, we're going to do that work and like I said, they completely rewrote uh, the entire Wasmar codebase like in the past year uh, and it should be compatible with SGX now. Awesome. That's great news. Yeah. I
3: just had a message from usurper saying they've just had a power cut. Uh, so that's why he no, no, suddenly no. has disappeared from the call um, so uh we I've got uh, just just double checking what we've got through all our questions here so we've talked about increasing the vowel set um the the other question I think that we we so we this is kind of interesting from the perspective of we've already talked about um secret voting, which is that uh, does it make validators uncomfortable in the community asking for reasons? on the way they vote on proposals. And I think you, he made an interesting point on this one already, when he said that generally speaking, I think people generally only ask you to justify your position if you are offering a dissenting view, which, I mean, I guess makes sense, right?
4: I can maybe add input on this. Uh, We had a couple of project building uh, staking derivatives secret, uh, which will make your uh, uh, staking private, um, and the contract will stake the, the secret for you. Um, they also implemented private voting inside the contract uh, to let your validator know what, what you wanna vote. Uh or to let the contract vote uh with the voting power. Uh, uh like uh, what's the like in the direction that the stakers are uh, are, uh wanting to vote.
3: Um so how is so that? that sounds like almost like a contract version of like Auth Z or, or or that kind of functionality?
4: Except it's secret, obviously. Sort of, yeah, sort of like uh, it's a contract that, that takes the c- secret for you privately, um, uh, and then you can, uh, for each governance on-chain proposal, you can vote in the contract what the contract should vote on uh, with the um, main on the g- main governance module.
3: Right. That's really cool. Uh, I didn't know that that existed in secret. Learning a lot tonight. Um, so uh, I think we we've trying to keep it to to ninety minutes. I think now is our optimistic goal because we we like to chat too much to our guests. Um, so we've got one <laughs> one last question. We've got a wrap up question, which is: uh, What are you most excited about this week in the cosmos? Uh, Shorty, do you want to kick off first? Because you're usually the most positive and least tired sounding out of all of us. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, I can go first. Let's see. Um, I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am for the the improvements from, from shockwave. I know I've been saying shockwave upgraded for the last couple of weeks, but, uh, secret networks like my home network. So anytime I see an improvement there, I'm like, yes. Um, so I guess there's that for now. Um, I'm also hopeful about UST coming back up. I think that within a week, it's going to be back up. Um, I've got some strong hopium though, like I can, I have that just directed, direct injected into my veins, so don't listen to me, but I think it'll be back up. I think that by that time, the market is going to uh, recover, not, not recover like stably, but I think that it's going to at least level out. There's going to be less FUD. There's going to be, people are going to be more happy to be here again.
2: Um, I think you're right about the. I think UST will definitely repeg. I think it will have um, probably more volatility going forward though, because of thinner uh, pulls and less backing. Um, but I definitely think it'll it'll repeg. I know we didn't sell anything of our UST um, that we still had when it started to de-peg. We had fortunately, um, you know, from a risk perspective, actually sold almost all of our UST just the day before this whole thing kicked off. So we were lucky in that regard. Um, but that was basically just a, uh, we do like a bit of a risk mitigation rebase every couple of weeks just to see where our assets are sitting and what the, the risk of um, that is to our business. So um, in my case, it's better uh, to move our risk over into our fiat and, let our government have a chance to bugger it up for us instead of uh, a non. (laughs) So, um, but actually uh, my thing, um, we uh, have released our um, King airdrop. So that's nice. Uh, We have been waiting for Juno tools all this time and um, I'm pretty excited about its release. Uh, It was incredibly easy to use and super smooth so congratulations to the team who built that um and yeah so that's that's my thing that i'm, I'm pretty happy about um if anyone wants to do an airdrop I uh, recommend using juno tools with the the merkle route um it's cheap on gas it's uh very easy to use you can put tens of thousands of addresses into it so it's very good nice
3: yeah, uh, Saf. What are you most excited about in the coming week in
4: the cosmos? Yeah, so obviously seeing how the Luna UST situation evolves, and I'm hopeful that the the Luna community can can come together and uh, interested to see what's going to happen with Luna. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure that UST will repair, but. Uh, pretty interested to see what's going to happen with Luna, and, and yeah, super excited, excited to be done with the Shockwave upgrade, and starting to work on new things like Cosmos and uh, V1 and IBC contracts and stuff like that. It must
2: be a, huge load, a huge load of having the having... Um, having the the work completed on Shockwave.
4: Yeah, so actually, it was the first time that we, we used the upgrade module. Up until now, we exported and imported. Yeah. <laughs> and it was pretty painful every time, and now it was super smooth. Like, it took like nine and a half minutes to upgrade, uh, which was pretty nice <laughs> compared to other times. Um, quick question. Do
2: you have a repo that we can um, do PRs to, to fix some of the documentation around um, Cosmovisor? Having now implemented it, we've got a few fixes to those docs.
0: Yeah, yeah I can put it uh, in
2: just a sec. Yeah, good. That's cool. We're happy cool. to go through and fix that up, stuff.
4: I think that I fixed your comments, but- uh, Oh, you've already wants- hit it? Happy if you if you can make more
2: PRs and make it better, yeah. Yeah, I might just have another look at it and see if there's any improvements we can make anyway.
3: To anybody listening, cool people, cool people do PRs, cool people fix docs. be be more like null, fix fix
0: documentation. Uh, be
2: more like everyone here. We all we all <laughs> hack on documentation in our spare time
0: i think that's true yeah as soon as the upgrade finished the first thing i do is start modifying the documents making more uh accurate so
2: Maybe yeah it's just, people we'll, love we'll to
0: have a pedantic streak
2: people love i love to be able to make docs that people can just copy paste
3: <laughs> we should do a whole we could do a whole segment on copy pasted docs and whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing couldn't we uh um, i think
2: we've, we've talked about it previously about uh, the <laughs> copy paste glory it's yeah, it's put, the uh it's the new gnomes um blackboard it's just copy paste question marks and shit in the middle I, I, and think, then I think
3: every copy paste documentation should have rf slash in it and just you know, j- just just to see who's awake you know <laughs> just like <laughs> hold on a second I'm not gonna do that um one of the most insane things uh I, i'll I'll tell this story and then uh and then I think that's pretty much all the time we have but the, one of the most insane things I've ever seen on the internet was uh, back in over 10 years ago on IRC, I saw on a chat room um, somebody looking for tech support. They just logged it. They just started, I think this was pre-Docker. They were running on bare metal. They were trying to redeploy a Ruby on Rails application. Uh, they didn't really know what they were doing in terms of running on Linux, and they were having a hard time. And uh, a couple of people tried to help, and they'd been kind of an arse about it and so the helpful people had kind of gone okay you can kind of get on with it and then essentially a troll had started helping them and just been telling them garbage and everybody has sort of been like "Eh, well when you're rude to the people trying to help you whatever let's just see how this plays out and then it suddenly escalated where this troll was literally like rmr slash kind of thing and then the person on IR- irc who is who is obviously there like um was like it's asking for my password what should i do and we're all like scrabbling <laughs> for the keyboard being like don't do it and then they just no. like disconnected from irc or whatever and it was like what the <laughs> hell happened there like well, i really want to know what the hell happened there it's like was that it did they just accidentally trash their laptop were they not even SSH'd onto them what was going on like what but then and then everybody would just sat around be like, hey, did did that guy just like wipe his hard drive or something? I think, <laughs> so. I think he said he was on a server. Like, can anybody remember what he said 10 minutes ago? And this troll also that just disconnects as well. And it was like, wow, that was a really weird. It was like the UK Ruby or UK Rails IRC, like a long time ago. I was like, wow. Uh, Do you
2: think anyway, maybe he was just trolling himself for shits and giggles?
3: I mean, it might have been a piece of kind of performance comedy via IRC. Yeah. But that would be a lot of effort again to to do that whole kind of thing um do a kind of skip i mean if it was very well executed i believed it i was bought in i felt the emotion uh and i very much enjoyed it 10 out of 10 yeah. we would go and see that edinburgh fringe <laughs> show again
2: um <laughs> do yeah that would be quite a good you could do it you could do,
3: do like a very avant-garde like edinburgh fringe comedy festival thing where you you did the entire show via irc or something like that um, mm. But then nobody would get it because who even knows what IRC is anymore. Um, Hello, hi, nice to meet you. Yeah, <laughs> hi. Yeah, that, that,
0: that's Discord, right? Basically, yeah. <gasps> Oh my yeah, god,
3: Discord is basically just like
1: IRC without any of the freedom. Um, so no, that's Slack. Usurpa, Somebody, you said Since you've, you Slack, Slack was IRC for business, which thought of literally twenty five years ago. But it's alright. Only missed out a few billion there. Yeah, but did you make it? No. So there you go. Uh too early. Yeah,
3: too early. What's what's the what's the quote? There's there's nothing more infuriating than being uh, f- d- f- uh, 10 years too too late except being 1 year too early. Something like that, That's right? Yeah. Um That's exactly, right. So what, what is sure. you most excited about in the Cosmos this week this coming week, you suffer? Oh, Shit. Yeah, you come back just in time for the final question.
1: Come back just in time. Um, come back to me. Let me let me give me a second. Okay. Well, you well, got. I, can't I, come
2: back to you. <laughs> <laughs> <Literally>, <laughs> my I'm last one because it's, it's,
1: it's me. So I'm gonna
3: go. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm planning on. Well, we are planning on uh, uh, setting up on a cache uh, in the coming weeks, and we're gonna go because we're obviously moving to using uh, like like Null has and like King nodes have. We're we're moving to remote silence across the board. Uh, we're mm-hmm. also gonna look at moving some of infrared to a cache. So it's gonna be pretty mm, exciting. Uh, and I think we'll probably do the first, the first one that we'll do in that structure will be the Akash validator. Um, so assuming I have time to do it in between stuff and obviously Prague is next week, which is also very exciting. Um, yeah. But I'm more excited about the Akash validator than Prague. Yeah. Am
2: that's I, pretty cool, man.
3: Maybe, maybe I am. Um,
2: are you, are you going to attempt the uh, Akash on Akash?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, we're, cool.
3: gonna, we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna we're gonna live in glory, or we're gonna double sign. Our way are our you way. gonna?
2: Are you gonna? Very <laughs> um, um, Sorry, what was that? Itself?
4: Is that a thing? Like, can you run like in a cache validator or on a cache syntax? Oh, my god! Yeah, I think you can now. Mm-hmm. As
3: of uh, especially as of the most recent upgrade, where they've the storage story has got a lot
2: better. Um, well you yeah. have been able to do it for a very long time now um it's just that you had to so the way
1: god that was gonna be interesting he's though frozen. i know it's
0: I'm just thinking. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you're back he's frozen um nope frozen he's frozen again so you set up, uh, your time's up oh i'll go i'll go up yeah um so we're we're. Uh, I was just actually rebuilding some infrastructure this week, so we're also moving to away from uh, just validator signing nodes. We're we're gonna do a Horcrux um, based uh, swarm. That swarm is going to be across three vendors in the U.S. So that's gonna be on OVH, on AWS, and um, on we have a colo that we run and that we run a ton of hardware in our own colo. Um, So that's the third note. And so those are all connected. We were, I was doing a lot of work with like WireGuard and some different types of um, easy management tools of that, like NetMaker and things like that I actually went away from that. And we're going to use Nebula, which is a, if you guys have heard of Nebula, it's like a kind of like a peer to peer mesh network built by some of the, some of the groups at Slack initially, because I think they use that a tremendous amount to be able to do kind of internal routing across a lot of cloud providers. And then now it's being spawned off. I think some of the either engineering team left or that's a business within a business or something called defined. Um, So that's, I'll put links in the show notes around that. It's still pretty early, but man, is it stable. Uh, So uh, I had a lot of issues with, with WireGuard appearing. I was trying to do a lot of things where I would drop ports and other types of things to make sure that those, that uh, Swarm would re reconnect and everything else. And, and just kind of struggling with that. But um, so that'll be on three different networks, um, all 20 milliseconds away. And so I, kind of done some testing to be able to say I can have a major outage on AWS or somewhere else and and still be able to sign. So once I do that and I need to build some Ansible structures around that um, for the signing piece of things, then that allows the nodes to really do anything. And so I think the Akash structure is something after um, talking about that is is really, really interesting. Uh, we still run a ton of Colo. Uh, you know, we have a lot of nodes in our Colo, but But to be able to spread that out a little bit and reduce that need, and then um, those types of things. So my goal is that that um, away from like some massively something horrible happening in the North American East, away from that, that there could be a massive vendor outage on any one of three or four really large, uh, you know, bare metal hosting providers, and not miss a block. That's really my goal, and so. Um, so anyway, it's just, you know, a lot of testing and kind of structure around that, but that's, I'm, I'm getting ready to be able to at least move some, um, some stuff over and get that going uh, just to be able to do some testing and things like that. And then, then hopefully we'll move some of the more important chains over and yeah. So that's kind of what I'm working on. Um,
2: Cosmos Omnibus, man, is what I was, I was going to say before, yeah. but it, you've been able to, um, to use it for validators for a very long time. Um, It's just that you sort of, the way it's set up, you um, have to put your keys in.